Hello and welcome back to the Primary Education Voices podcast, the podcast dedicated to the exciting world of primary education with me, your host, Matt Roberts. If you're a member of staff in primary education, then this podcast is for you. Each episode will be interviewing a special guest who works in a primary setting and be finding out what inspires them. We will also be asking them for their top tips, resources and philosophies that they are passionate about in this wonderful profession. And of course, share some of the funny stories that happen along the way. Today, I was able to sit down with Shannon Doherty. And um, it's quite funny. Shannon and I have been trying to get together to uh, to record this podcast for quite a while now. Uh, Shannon was uh, recommended by Alan Sue in his podcast, as well as uh, Adam, J- Adam Woodward, I believe, uh, in his uh, podcast interview. Uh, and she is someone that I've been wanting to get onto this podcast for a while, but through my own personal circumstances and, and through her commitments as well, it just hasn't seemed to work. But finally, we were able to sit down and have this chat. And I'm so grateful we did because it is a great one, as as all of our uh, episodes are. Uh, we talk about many things to do uh, with primary education. I'm not going to spoil any surprises for you, but let's just say you'll get lots of things to take away from, from this uh, chat and to have a look at straight away uh, as soon as you finish listening. So I won't leave you in suspense any longer. Let's sit back, uh, relax and enjoy the primary education voice of Shannon Doherty. Hello and welcome to the podcast, Shannon Doherty. How are you doing today, Shannon? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm very good. Very excited for this chat. I've wanted to do this for a while and so I'm great we could finally meet up. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Of course. Fantastic. Well, uh, as as always, we'll start with our quick fire questions and these are to get a bit of a background about you, where you're up to in your primary education journey and just to get to know you a little bit more. So to, yeah. begin, with, to begin with, Shannon, what is your Twitter handle? My Twitter handle is at Miss S Doherty. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, how many years have you been in primary education? Six years. Six years. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and what has been your primary journey so far? So in those years uh, that you've been in primary education, what have been some roles that you've had along the way and experiences? So I started as an NQT in year three, did a couple of years in year three, uh, led on music for a little while. Then I did uh, three years in year four in two different schools. Um, I've led geography, computing, MFL. I've been on the maths curriculum team. I've led um, uh, PSHE, <laughs> outdoor learning. <laughs> Um, uh, an array of subjects really <laughs> uh, and then I, I've gone down to year two this year which has been a nice change of pace been very different but I've loved it and I've been leading on maths at this school for just over two years excellent wow it, there's almost no area of the curriculum you haven't covered in those six <laughs> years which is incredible that's brilliant well, I'm sure we'll uh, touch on that a bit later with some of your with some of your primary three. That's great. Um, mm. So, out of all of those subjects, or any subjects that that you're interested in, what is your favourite subject and why? Maths. It's oh, always going to be math. Shocked. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, nobody is surprised. I love maths. I've I've always loved maths. It was my favourite subject as a child at school. I was always very good at it at school, so that always helped. Um, That and French, I kind of had uh, quite quickly, I just got. Um, 
and then I think I got interested in maths mastery and that sort of element of it a couple of years in I was put on a mastery quite intense um training course with one of the maths hubs in London and they really opened my eyes to quite a lot of things and I thought gosh this subject has just got so so much in it and so far to go still you know we're just not where we need to be with it and so I kind of made it my mission to become a maths lead so when I moved schools and went to my second school I joined the maths curriculum team and then I moved to this school and became maths lead and it's just it's so much fun there's so much in it and watching those children get it and explain it, it it's like nothing else in my opinion yeah I mean I will say when I was kind of planning this podcast interview with you I would I'm not surprised uh, that the answer is maths <laughs> Um, obviously you have a book out with 100 ideas uh, with primary maths and and all these kind of things which is great Um, but actually I have to agree with you that you know I I was very similar I loved maths growing up Uh, I I felt I was pretty good at it but it wasn't until similar to you I kind of had a course with with a maths hub uh, close to me about this idea it was multiplicative reasoning I started looking at and just um, all of that aspect of how you can put that that subject across my mind Mm -hmm. was wide open then Um, yeah so yeah that's brilliant thanks for sharing that um what uh, or who has been a favorite teacher for you in your own education and, and why i think i would have to go with mrs brown genevieve brown she was my year six teacher she was the just the best woman ever and she still lives um in the town that i grew up in and so sometimes if I'm driving through, I'll see her sort of like she'll be outside the church or something. Or, you know, my mum might have bumped into her in the supermarket and she remembers me and she asks about me and it's really lovely. Mm. And she just she was the best person in that in my primary school. And she just she just was everything. She was funny and she was so knowledgeable. She was really supportive. I, you know, I wanted to go to quite um quite an academic secondary school. Everyone else was going to the very local ones. And I was like, nope, I know what school I want to go to. My cousin went there. He's very clever. I was like, well, I'm going there then. And she supported me the whole way. And she was like, you've actually got this. You know, I had to go and get um, sort of loads of assessments at the school to make sure that I was the right material. And she was so supportive the whole way through. And I just think she was always sort of person that I wanted to be like. So I hope I'm like her. (laughs) Wow, sounds like a great inspiration, um, you know, and just really encourage you to kind of go and achieve what you wanted to. That that's fantastic. Uh, hopefully, we can have more Mrs. Browns in our in uh, in our children's lives as we grow up. That's great. Um, and finally, uh, if you had to, or if, or if you already do run one, what after school club would you run? Choir. I love the choir. There is something so moving about children singing and singing well. Children singing badly is like worse than recorded, in my opinion. <laughs> but like a beautiful chorus of children is so moving and so emotive. And I've always loved doing the choir. And I really miss doing the choir at the moment because of, you know, COVID and whatnot. So I can't, I can't wait until we're all allowed back in the same room and all allowed to sing together because it's just fun and the children love it and you get children from all walks of life and all year groups who just want to come and be part of something beautiful so i, I just love the choir that's a great one um go on what, what's been some of your uh, your, t- your top your, your hits that you've done with some choirs through through the time you've done it <laughs> 
Um, so we, I mean, obviously any Disney song is a classic. Oh. The, children, the children grab onto those. Um, you know, the young voices that yeah. kind of go around the country and you kind of all get together for this one big choral moment. Yeah. Um, we did that in my first school, I don't know, five years ago. And we sang um, some really like, I'm going to say old, but I might offend people who don't think they're old. But some older music, uh, and one of them was "You're the Voice," and I'm not going to sing it, but it oh. was wonderful. And we signed it at the same time, and that was really moving. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I, I really love a Christmas concert, and I love singing "In the Bleak Midwinter." It's my favourite song by far. And when children sing that, I just bawl my eyes out mm. because it's so beautiful. But other than that, like anything that's poppy or that I listened to when I was a child and then I can introduce to them, I quite like doing a bit of that as well. That's brilliant. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Disney songs, you know, in years, as I've been in year six, a number of years, we've done all the productions and stuff like that. Yeah. All the levers things. And honestly, the I, I am... I feel like I'm quite a zen, chilled person, but when they hit those notes right at the end of that Leavers assembly, uh, the one that really got me was A Million Dreams from uh, The Greatest Showman. I was just like... Yes. We did did The Greatest Showman for our Year 6 production two years ago, and the Year 6 teacher at the time did not want to be part of it because he was not particularly musical. And so for the rehearsals, he would come and teach my class and I would... Um, rehearsed with his class and we did The Greatest Showman and it was just so so beautiful and I was at the back of the hall for the performances like doing all the moves and encouraging them and then at the end of it just crying (laughs) and just being like this is the best thing because it is, it's so wonderful Yeah Uh, and and just giving them that that passion and that love of it it, it's just a great thing to take with them that's brilliant Mm. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we did pretty well with those. We'll move on to our more structured questions or the, the questions that you're more aware of as we uh, go through this uh, chat now. So first of all, uh, Shannon, what inspired you to become involved in primary education in the first place? Where did it all start for you? So when I was in year four, uh, I've told this story before on another podcast and I'm, I think I told it for about 25 minutes. <laughs> so I'm going to shorten this one up. But when I was in year four, I had a teacher called Miss Stanton. And in my eyes, she was the coolest woman in the world. Um, probably not somebody you would have in a school anymore. She used to rock up in hot pants and heels and she was a bit wild and she was, I remember catching her kissing the year six teacher in the cupboard and I remember being like, oh, this is, this is what being a teacher is. But that I remember thinking she's so cool and she really got us as a class. And so kind of about then I thought, I think I'd like to be a teacher but at the same time, I was also considering dolphin trainer and a lawyer. And I was convinced that I was going to be uh, a dolphin trainer at the weekends and a lawyer in the evenings and a teacher during the day. <laughs> and my parents were like, sure, sure, you will crack on. Uh, and my dad, you know, he was pushing for the lawyer, obviously. Yeah. But I, I, I somehow managed to stick to the teaching thing in my head. You know, Mrs. Brown earlier on, she was completely inspirational. Mm. And I got to secondary school and I thought, no, I still want to be a teacher. I just don't want the teenagers because they're hormonal and I couldn't handle that. I don't, you know, I didn't like teenagers when I was a teenager. So I certainly didn't want to grow up and teach them. So I just always thought primary is a really cool job. 
Yeah, I actually now remember you sharing that story about the year four teacher and the year six teacher. And it was that moment when you said that. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. I like, I like look at this. This is great. <laughs> um, I hope for some reason, they, I, I really hope they don't listen. <laughs> this, this year four child caught us in the cupboard. <laughs> but it led to a, to a future teacher. It did. It's true. <laughs> No, but I, I love that. And I think what I love about that story is about how your parents, you know, obviously, you know, if you have your, what's, what age is your nine-year-old daughter, I think, is wow. that around the right age, saying, oh, I want to be a teacher and I want to be a dolphin trainer and I want to be a lawyer, just kind of the 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 love and the, the way that they say, go for it, you know, if you want to do yeah. that, that, that's so empowering. Uh, I love that, mm. uh, kind of that, that view. Yeah. Um, thinking about then, so you kind of decided that fairly early on, you know, year four is probably the earliest I've heard so far, other than perhaps kids that have had their teddies lined up when they were three. Uh-huh. But, if, but having that desire to be a teacher and particularly primary school, yeah, it's pretty early. At any point along there, was there any doubts or conversely, was there a moment that where you, that where you just had an experience, you just thought, yeah, do you know what? I was right. This is perfect for me. I don't think I ever doubted it. I kind of always thought this is what I want to do. Um, there was a brief moment where I thought, well, maybe I could be in the chorus on the West End because I love a musical and I'm very into performing. But I, you know, I realised that I was not good enough to do that. And I'm the kind of person who wants to be very good at whatever they do. Um, and so, I, you know, I'd never really doubted that this is what I wanted to do. But there was that. And then for a brief time, you know, I worked at Waitrose as a 16-year-old. And for a very brief time, one of the managers there was definitely trying to get me to apply for this management course. And going, are you sure? Are you sure you want to go to uni and be a teacher? Are you sure you don't just want to stay here? And I was like, I'm pretty sure. He's like, because this is a pretty good job. You know, you could start on this next year. And I was like, again, I'm fairly sure this is what I want to do. I've known for a while. Um, but I remember going home and being like, could I? Could I be a, a manager and waitress and just change my path? But I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> well, that was a good temptation, but fortunately you, you stayed <laughs> away from it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Well, I think, you know, obviously you have a great passion for it. And you know, I've heard you talk before about your teaching, about teaching and how, you know, obviously it is clearly where you're meant to be. So that's great. Um, speaking of our kind of experiences we have in education, uh, what has been one of your funniest experiences from a primary education, other than seeing the year four teacher and the year six teacher in the, in the start cupboard? Well, in your own journey, what's one of the funniest stories that you've uh, that you've experienced? I found this one really hard to think about because there are just so many, like, uh, you know, funny things happen all day, every day. We're always laughing. Um and I, I, you know, there isn't one that sticks in my mind, but um, which I'm really sad about, I think. I don't know if, some, if with time and more experience, there'll be this like one standout story. Mm. Like Kate Obridge always tells these two really good, hilarious stories from her time as a teacher. Um, but I just, I just don't have that one story yet. There's a, there was a time that I was, I took year three with my best friend who was my year group partner at the time um to the beach because you know we worked in a school in Lewisham in London you know most of those children had never been out of uh Lewisham let alone London certainly not to the seaside so we were taking them to the seaside and um we got the coach and we've almost never got coaches because when you work in that kind of school and you're in London you get public transport everywhere it's just what you do uh and we were on the coach and this and suddenly this 
this can of drink rolled down the kind of center of the coach. And like one of us, I don't remember who now, but one of us kind of leaned down to pick it up. And it was a can of um, vodka, lime and soda. <laughs> and we just stood, like we sat there going, what, I mean, what do we do? What? <laughs> we were like, no, sure, surely not, no. And then so we're kind of wandering around the coach being like, has anyone lost anything? Has anyone dropped a drink? What? And then there are a few sort of shifty looking kids. Um, and it, it turned out that, you know, a child had just grabbed it from the fridge and just thought it was their drink, but, you know, and it wasn't consumed. But we would, that, that is one of those things where you go, what job does this happen in where you're in a coach of seven and eight year olds going, whose is the vodka lime and soda? I just, it's not it's not a normal story but that one sticks in my mind it's like a what and then something that we you know we laugh about it now yeah absolutely i love that it's just that moment you're like whoa hang on and then yeah that panic setting in where it's like hang on has, has anyone opened this like yeah exactly we kind of like oh my word <laughs> how do we, what paperwork do we fill in for this <laughs> yeah that's great. Well, thanks for sharing that. And like you say, I think that's always, this is always one of the trickiest ones, I think, not because things don't happen, but just there's so many that you could, that you could mm-hmm. uh, so no, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Straight on then to your primary three. I'm very excited to, to chat to, about these with you. Uh, and so as listeners know, uh, who have, who've listened, or if you haven't listened before, these are the three things about primary education, the primary things for you, Shannon, that are you're passionate about or that, you, that are really important to you and that you would really want to share if you had three things to share about primary education. So the first mm-hmm. one is le- uh, learning trajectories and the NCETM spines. So why are those an important resource for you in primary education? So first and foremost, I think they're just incredibly useful resources. There is such a wealth of subject knowledge in both of them. Uh, and I think they really sort of scaffold how you approach a concept and how you teach concept. And I think in a world where teachers are so time poor, we really need this level of detail in our kind of subject planning and in any documents that are going to help us. Um, if I think about the spines kind of firstly, mm-hmm. they do look pretty intimidating when you first approach them and when you sort of download one of them and you go, oh my word, there's so many words in here rather than something like White Rose that has got, you know, a little bit of kind of a little bit of information and then just the questions that you're going to ask the children. And it's all broken down for you, but the the, the spines really go into detail and they really tell you, you know, you've got all the, the stem sentences that you need to use or the language you need to use. The models are given to you. Any sort of um, manipulative that they suggest you use is, is laid out in there. So a real novice could pick it up, read it, and do some good teaching with it. Um, and like I said, they're you know they are hefty, but they're full of gold. And it's just there are just notes upon notes for every single concept and every teaching point, and it's sequenced so perfectly for you that you know if you are somebody new and for whatever reason you don't have a scheme of work or you don't have a particularly um kind of laid out curriculum in maths you could take those and you could do a lot of good work yourself Mm. and with the learning trajectories that i mean that's just your earliest maths done for you it's insane that that resource is free it's insane that they're both free quite frankly but they are and just you know your subject knowledge will just skyrocket and i just love them both so so much 
Brilliant. Yeah, I think, I mean, and the NCETM, I think as a maths lead, I've been a maths lead now for kind of four years or so, but pretty much my maths leadership is based on what the NCETM do. Um, And I think that, like you say, I think we we sometimes as maths leads, but also just as as primary school teachers, you know, we have a lot to think about. And we are, it's very easy to kind of look at a scheme like White Rose or Power Maths or Maths No Problem or whatever it is mm-hmm. that what your school uses and say, well, here it is. We'll just deliver that and it'll be fine. But I think there's a danger there that obviously we're not thinking about the the inputs, the, the, the mm-hmm. specific children in front of us, their context and their prior knowledge and all that kind of thing. And so using something like these spines and the learning trajectories will be really good. Um, going back to the NCETM spines then, so... Obviously, I mean, as an early early career teacher, I think that would be absolute gold, like you say. You know, I remember being on my practice and being told, right, you're going to teach math the next two weeks. And I didn't even know what scheme they were using, never mind have this this um, spine, this NCTM spine. So being able to do that was a real struggle. Um, first of all, could you just first let our listeners know, if they don't know about these NCTM spines, how they can go about finding them? Absolutely. So, I mean... First, just either go to the NCTM website or Google NCTEM. No, NCETM. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm so used to saying it so fast. I'm like NCTM. <laughs> so Google NCTM, like PD materials, and they will come up. And there is a, there's an addition, subtraction, there's multiplication, division, there's fractions. Um, you know, it's not the entire curriculum. I, no one could use it as their entire maths curriculum. You do need to have something else because they haven't got to, you know, the other aspects, you know, there's no geometry or whatnot. But for number, you have got this spine for every year group. And it's so beautifully sequenced and it's so well thought out that you if you haven't heard of them, just go go and go and look them up. And if your maths lead has never mentioned them to you, then please go and mention them to your maths lead because it's something that everyone should know about. Absolutely. And so like you say, that the whole curriculum's not there. And if, I think it's been the last two years they've been working on them, or certainly mm-hmm. the last three years, and then been publishing them the last two years or so. Um, so it's not all there. But actually, it, listeners listening to this, you know, we're coming towards the end of the summer term. This is obviously the perfect time to be thinking ahead to September and thinking, mm-hmm. what can I have in place? So obviously all the year groups begin with number and place value and kind of getting those building blocks in place in September, not least for the fact we need to plug any gaps from the lockdowns that we've had as well. So that would yeah. be really important. So say, so obviously listeners, they find the, the, these NCTM spines. Um, I, I, I think off the top of my head, they're year one to year six with the yeah. objectives there. What would be your advice in terms of, right, here's the page, here's the spine, where do I start? What, what, what useful place could I begin? So I think you need to, I, I would always say with something like this, that's such a hefty thing to read. I would say have someone to talk it through with you. If it's a year group partner or your maths lead, or you might, you know, live with another teacher, or you might just have a teacher friend who's also a bit nerdy about these things, but have someone there to talk through it with you because you you need someone to bounce around the ideas with. And don't get me wrong, you could sit and, and kind of soak it all up yourself. But I do think a, a really rich discussion could come from it if you shared it. So I think sit with someone and read maybe one teaching point at a time because they're broken down into teaching points. So you can sort of consume them in stages and you can think about why it's been sequenced that way. 
and you can think you know you can sit and go oh okay so if i'm going to be teaching fractions to year three then i need to start at this point and th these are the teaching points they recommend in this order and i can see those really clear links between teaching point one and teaching point four and it's it's so beautifully laid out for you but it is a lot to read uh, so don't feel like you need to read it all in one go don't feel like you know you you have to sit read it and then sit and plan straight away because that's not going to be the most effective approach and it's not going to produce the most high quality planning so I, I just think take your time with it and I know that we shouldn't encourage anyone to read over the summer but if if you have got a couple of hours in the summer holidays to set aside and go I'm, ju I'm just going to take this in and then you know maybe then the half term or then the Christmas holidays whatever it might be so that you're sort of giving yourself the time that you really need or uh, you know a PPA session maybe you don't sit and try and smash out a week's planning maybe you use it to develop your subject knowledge in this one area mm. but I think sitting and talking it through and then working out how it's going to relate to your kind of context and what I would also say is look at the the ready to progress materials that they brought out last year um, because they have all of those sort of prerequisites in there. So the things your children absolutely need to have nailed before you can move on to whatever's in the spines. Mm. And so if you've got those two things together, then you're going to be, you know, doing some really good maths teaching, absolutely. in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And the Ready to Progress materials, in my view, have been just an inspiration. Cause, mm. And what's really interesting is that they were kind of planning these these Ready to Progress criteria before any pandemic was even mentioned. Yeah, and then the timing of it was just spot on. <laughs> exactly. Like a lot of people were saying, oh, this is because of the pandemic. Well, actually, no, it's not. <laughs> this was being No, this is, this is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, this, this just wasn't done in two months. You know, it just kind of, it, it was being prepared. And then obviously it's a situation which has fallen really really well to use them mm. and really put that this whole discussion about prioritization which i prefer yes. so much more to catch up curriculum because it's not definitely you can't you can't catch everything up if already you are struggling mm -hmm. to teach everything well and sufficiently with quality to a class in a normal year so prioritizing those those strands those things and then i had a discussion with my year two teacher um a, a while ago about you know the summer term and what what can we do and there was things in there like there's measure and there's things with the measure that they just don't need to be doing at this point because mm -hmm. the kids need to really get the stuff they've missed because of the two lockdowns over year one and year yeah. two um and so using these things like the ready to progress criteria the the, the um the ncetm spines are great i totally agree and i think you know i also met with i met with all of our teachers you know i'm in a one form school it's quite it's quite easy for me to go and meet with all of them and I met with them all uh before Easter so we you know we had those four weeks when we came back and for me I just said just consolidate do arithmetic do the four operations just do things that they're comfortable with let them feel a little bit motivated let them feel a bit of success before we kind of try and teach anything new and then I met with all of them before Easter and said you know I know White Rose says that you should be teaching shape and statistics and you know measure like you said but actually they really shouldn't be doing that right now we really need to be focusing on number and you know one of our um 
one of our teachers was saying, oh, but I think my children really need time. They they haven't had time since year one. I think it was the year three teacher. I said, I don't, honestly, they'll learn to tell the time when they learn to tell the time. Mm. That shouldn't be in the curriculum anyway, in my opinion. But, <laughs> you yeah. know, these things aren't as important. If our, if our children aren't numerate and can't go up to, you know, to the next year group, having been exposed to all of the number objectives in their year group and the year group before because we always have to dip back particularly at the moment Mm. then we're doing them a disservice and we're failing them and i hear of schools who are who are teaching things like angles at the moment and i think how are you doing that did you just have everyone in during the pandemic or did you just have 100 percent engagement and you've assessed them and they're all perfect in number because ours aren't Mm. so i'm going oh gosh did we do something really wrong but then i talk to other people and they go no no we're also focusing on number and then i relax yeah and i think it's important like the school's context is important and you know what the the thing that worries me is when i hear schools like looking at these things and saying oh you know we're we're using the readiest progress criteria that's our curriculum it's like well well Hang on, that's, no, that's not the curriculum. No, <laughs> because it doesn't cover the curriculum. It, it's a tool to help us focus on the on the skills they must have before we then complete yeah. the rest of the curriculum. It's not the complete curriculum. And you know, obviously, I'm sure I hope that many listeners listening to this will have heard of these Ready to Progress criteria, mm-hmm. the M spines. But if not, like you say, a Google search is easy. One thing that I'm particularly excited to use there's uh, these evaluation documents that they've created as well which are just a really good mm. structure to help teachers as we're coming to the end of the issue this year now saying to the next year group in those transition meetings, which will be really important this year, even mm-hmm. more so than ever. Right, here's the maths curriculum. Here's from the Ready to Progress criteria what we think is nailed down well generally in this class. Here's what's not been covered so well. So you'll need to be aware of that as you go into to next year, mm. uh, which is important. Just uh, before we move on to your second of the primary three, I do want to cover the, the learning trajectories a little bit more. So do you want to just explain to our listeners what those are? Uh, uh, you mentioned earlier years maths. Uh, do you want to just yes. explain what they are? So if you, again, Google learning trajectories, then you will be taken to the most wonderful website. And it has just everything that you could need for early years maths. And it's completely free. Um, you know, you can sign up and sort of set up a dummy class. And there's every kind of early years maths concept that you need is in there. And then there are all the suggested activities that you do and the ways that you sort of develop counting and those early counting principles that, you know, not enough people know about, you know, not, you know, you get year six teachers who go, oh, they can't do this. And you think, well, maybe they just haven't mastered counting. Do you know which one it is? Um, and so the, the learning trajectories is in is just insanely good quality and such a such a good resource. And if I had my way, then that would just be the earliest curriculum for all schools. Mm. And the NCTM would just be everything else. And I presume I mean I I I've not actually looked at them. That's that's something that's kind of gone under my radar, which is really mm. useful. Um I presume, obviously, with the new framework coming out in 2021, that that's all updated mm. for that and everything like that. Yeah, it's it's so good. Yeah. You just, just and, and it's something that I have only known about for maybe the last 18 months mm. or two years. I don't know. But um, it, it, it's just a really valuable resource. And I was talking to a, a teacher in a special school. Uh, gosh, um at some point last year and she was asking me about maths and I was like well given the kind of the level that you're teaching at 
this would be ideal and she went on to it and she was like this is amazing how have I not seen this mm. I do think it's one of those things that you just don't know about mm. absolutely yeah I won't feel too bad then <laughs> no but, they but, they really have gone under the radar yeah but it's certainly what I'll be googling once we're done here so that's great so I've really, yeah. <laughs> uh, fantastic I mean I could talk about this all day but we cannot uh, otherwise this be a very long <laughs> so let's move on to your second of the primary three then Shannon and so again it's one I'm very passionate about as well uh, a proper curriculum progression in place. So oh. why why is a proper curriculum progression important for you in primary education? So I wrote about this recently for Home Act magazine and it was quite a big, it was like a thousand words of a rant, quite frankly, because I am so fed up. And we admin the same Facebook group that you set up a few years ago for year yep. three and four teachers. And I, how many posts are there in these sorts of Facebook groups that are asking for ideas for topics that they can teach or they've been given the most ridiculous topic name and they go, I'm teaching the world's kitchen next half term. What, what do I, what do I do? Has anyone got any planning for the world's kitchen? And you think, no, cause that's not a real topic. <laughs> and then, and then they're asking for people's planning and I'm just so tired of it and it's not the teacher's fault it is 100% not the teacher's fault they are doing a really good thing by going out and asking for help it's the leader's fault and I'm sorry to do a bit of SLT bashing but if you are a leader and you haven't laid out your curriculum for your teachers and they're going to Facebook for help then you've failed them quite frankly we can't expect teachers and we shouldn't expect teachers to come up with their own topics it really bothers me you know recently i think last week i saw a post in a facebook group that said um what topics is everyone teaching next half term i want something light and summary i just <laughs> thought well i know what topic i'm teaching because it's been laid out in my curriculum because i know what our curriculum is yeah and I, it baffles me so completely you know a school and its teachers should know what the overview looks like. They should know what comes before and what comes after. The links should be explicit and not tenuous. I can't stand people going, you know, I'm making this in DT because my topic is Egypt. So we're going to make pyramids out of cardboard. You know, well, that's not DT. And so this whole kind of, I think it was fashionable a few years ago to have this very connected curriculum. Mm. And, you know, now we are seeing the benefit of teaching subjects. And yes, there are going to be links, but not always. And actually, it's OK if your art doesn't link to your geography unit. And yeah, I could rant for days. And I'm sorry, because I'm, I sound so negative. But I just really think we need this robust curriculum. Everyone needs to know what is being taught in what year group and it's not a finished document it will change with time but if you're you know if you're focusing on witty topic titles over the actual core knowledge then you're doing the wrong thing yeah i, I mean I, I read your article about this <laughs> uh, and I, I honestly like whilst it, you know it definitely was a very strong opinion on it it was mm. i completely understand that and i think that obviously you mentioned that we have the facebook group so um shannon and i admin a year three four uk uh, facebook group uh, on on facebook obviously um and <laughs> and like you say i mean there's i mean it's brilliant there's over twenty thousand teachers on there i looked at it mm. this morning it's like this is great it's doing really well but like you say 
every now and then you see those posts and it's oh we're doing raving romans next next half term has anyone got like a, a medium term plan i can use and it's like well hang on first of all what what history skills and concepts have your school built on say this is year yeah. four doing it what do they do in year three because obviously uh-huh. you're not going to want to redo the skills they've done or maybe just consolidate them and what skills do you need to cover and i think you're totally right you know it's not about oh here's the national curriculum they say we need to do you know um ancient britain so we need to do romans saxons um, uh-huh. tudors and so on so let's just stick them into those year groups and there's the job done there's a real bank of skills that need to be developed uh, and and knowledge and concepts that need to be addressed across the school through that that curriculum um and i think and i guess I guess, like you say, it's difficult because it isn't the teacher's fault that they're trying to go out and they're trying to find the resources because, as you mentioned already, teaching is such a time-heavy um, mm. you know, thing that we do. To then sit back and go, okay, and then I've got to plan out this whole curriculum, it has to be led by the leaders. And so yeah. thinking about this, then, I mean, one of the things I think, and I don't know your thoughts on this, that's actually really helped, and I've seen um, improvements on this in a number of the schools that I've spoken with, is the Ofsted Framework. Mm. obviously there's been that push towards the whole curriculum how do you make sure those skills are covered in all the year groups what are your thoughts on that so i agree that the um the ofsted inspection framework definitely pushed quite a few schools to kind of get onto the curriculum train and i know there'll be schools out there go oh we've been doing this the whole time it's not just because of ofsted but actually i don't care you're doing it so that's the main thing um so i just think you need to sit down whether you sit down as a staff or a leadership whatever it is and you just need to sit down and go how are we mapping this out how does this go into this how does this draw on this and i you know i'm not a history expert i'm not a geography expert i'm not a maths expert but you know, I will get people in. If I, if, if I always say, if I ruled the world or if I were in charge of a school, this is what I would do. And I would get people in, those experts in curriculum. Because you can get someone like, I'm going to say someone like Neil Almond or Victoria on Twitter, who's Mrs. S Teachers, who are incredibly knowledgeable about the curriculum and want to help schools. Mm. You need to get people like that in to sit down with you if you don't have the experts on your, on your um, staff and just map this out for you and think about how it connects to your history, how it connects to your science. Where are those links? We need to draw those links out and show them to the children because they won't, they won't always pick up on it. We need, you know, and then we need to make sure there aren't these ridiculous links being made to every subject. You know, I, I, one thing that really bugs me is when people try and link maths to their topic. <laughs> That's a step too far. <laughs> I can understand why, you know, you're making structures out of biscuits i don't like it and i think it's stupid but i can see why someone has you know what steps someone's taken to get to that but when you're including things about the greeks in your maths stop it just stop <laughs> like just it's not relevant yeah i mean uh, uh... Obviously, I, I love a good uh, biscuit Stonehenge or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. And I think, and do you know, I've done stuff like that in the past because you, you want to do things and, and you want to. And I think that's, I think what you're not saying is, you know, if you're doing that, you're completely wrong. Although I don't know. Um, but I think, I think that, um, I think 
like you say, it's trying to find ways we can make those engaging and important and, and effective links across the curriculum. And, where, and don't force it if you don't have to. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a great discussion with, uh, I think it was Sophie Bart that I was talking with. Oh, no, it was Emily Weston that said this about using books. And if the English doesn't link well with what you're doing with your other subjects, then don't force it. You know, don't look Absolutely. for a book that is on your topic if there isn't any great books out there and shoehorn it in. Yeah. You want the focus to be quality English, quality history, uh, um, quality DT and all these things like that. And if you can make the links, then great. If you can yeah. find a way to build the structure and make it so that it's an actual process of design and technology, go for it. Uh, I think, And I think that's important. But, but like you say, maths for me is one of my bugbears with it. Uh, we we in one of my previous schools we, and actually the way they went about developing the curriculum I thought was really good it was a great model you know they had the subject yeah. leads in there they got all the subject leads together with the curriculum lead they put all the national curriculum out and they mapped it out through the school mm-hmm. and it was they, they kind of had this collaborative discussion about it and they were kind of the, the specialists with that and they led that forward and then they built these progression ladders um, these assessments and how just teachers could use the assessments to help to see if the children are meeting those skills within that subject. It was great. But then they but they left me out of it as the maths lead. And I was quite glad, actually, because yeah. I was in that room. I'd be like, I'm sorry, this is just, it's a token gesture with it. And so it was kind of like, yeah, maths, you just carry on doing what you're doing, Matt. And I was like, yeah, yeah. thank you. <laughs> uh, because, <laughs> no, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, it, 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 like you say, when you start doing Mayan numbers, say, well, here's our maths. It's like, I'm sorry, the year six are doing much more complex maths than, you know, what the Mayan math structure is and doing these little <laughs> things with it. Whilst I've done, whilst I have done that lesson before, uh, and and uh, and it was great. You know, it what I didn't put it as my maths curriculum because, of course, it, it isn't. Um, but yeah, I think thinking about the, the, the listeners to the podcast, and obviously this is something which you know does, does need addressing in schools. What for you could class teachers do uh, with this knowledge of trying to to look out and see what they can do to develop that curriculum within their classroom, if even if you know outside of that there isn't a lot of support there. Mm. So I think if there isn't the support out there in the school, um, then it obviously becomes a lot harder. And ultimately, it would be great if you could have those conversations with someone. But if you can't have those conversations with someone, then I think you need to sit down and look at what they've been taught before Hmm. and what is going to come next. And if, if you don't know that, then you don't know it because if it's not been laid out for you, you can't then go and chase up all the other teachers, Hmm. especially in some schools where it seems like they get to choose whatever topic they like and they can change it whenever. So if, if you just have a class for a year, just think about what are, what do you want them to know? What do you absolutely want them to learn can you make links between your units of work you know are you doing a unit on rivers and does that then link to one of your geography units say um or are you doing something in science that links to your geography or your dt because i think often we forget about dt and art but um you then just have to sit down and think about it yourself. And I do think asking someone for help, if it's not someone in your school, then go to somebody on Twitter, quite frankly, because people are always open to having these conversations. And, you know, if you're someone that genuinely just needs help or just needs to talk about it with someone who's not in your school, then there's loads of people who will talk to you on Twitter. Um, But you're trying your best. And that's the main thing. Mm. However, I will say 
it takes more than just a class teacher to to make sure your children are getting a decent and robust curriculum and if there are deeper issues then those issues need to be addressed and maybe it's a case of you know that school just isn't right for you because they don't want to change their ways and that's the way it goes sometimes yeah i think and i think that this is that's a really important salient point is that you know if you are a teacher in that school that is wanting to to provide this enriching wide curriculum across the school but the the leadership is just not focused on that at this point for whatever yeah. reason i mean obviously this is probably a difficult time to be addressing these kind of big questions because there's all the things with the with the pandemic and things to work with as well but if you're in that school and that hasn't been there for a number of years then like you say you know maybe it's time to think well could I have a richer, more wider experience elsewhere, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's always difficult to have this kind of view as a class teacher that doesn't have that impact on wider school decisions. But mm. all you can do is talk to someone in school, you know, your line manager, and maybe they will be willing to listen to you and your thoughts on it and, and share those. Um, so no, that's great. Again, could keep chatting about this, but we probably <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, your final of the primary three, uh, Shannon, is walkthroughs. So would you like to explain what walkthroughs are and uh, why, why you're passionate about them? Yes. So, I mean, I'm quite a big teaching and learning geek. And I think m- more of us are becoming teaching and learning geeks as things move on and as we get better with, you know, taking ownership of professional development. Um, and if you haven't heard from it, then of it, then walkthroughs is uh, a set of five step guides working towards better teaching. Um, you know, they're evidence-informed strategies. It's things like behavioural relationships, explaining and modelling, questioning and feedback. There's like retrievals in there, uh, curriculums in there. It, the, there are two books now. There's a volume one and a volume two. It's written by Tom Sherrington and Ollie Cav. And they are just books full of these five-step guides that are but, you to use in the classroom to get better at teaching Mm -hmm. and therefore obviously the learning will get better and so you know I guess it's down to schools or teachers how they want to use them but um you know our trust has just bought into it for the next three years and so it will be a huge part of our teaching and learning kind of professional development and things like um performance management and coaching all of that sort of stuff it's amazing for so if you haven't seen it I would buy the first book it's quite, and it's very affordable as well. Great. So, so walkthroughs. So it's a book uh, and there's two volumes. And from what I can get from it, because obviously many of the listeners will probably not have heard of them, mm. uh, is that there's kind of um, themes or um, approaches or strategies or skills in good teaching and learning in these yeah. books. And it, go, and it gives you, you say, a five-step guide for each of those. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's five steps to every walkthrough and it's got, you know, um, like a little image to go with it and a little breakdown of what you do and you just kind of follow those five steps. And some of them will obviously take longer than others. Some of them uh, will be things that you want to do straight away in September, like I guess with behaviour, for example, and other things you might want to develop as the year goes on. Um, And it's just about, you know, people buying into their own professional development Mm -hmm. And one thing I love about it, it creates this sort of environment where everyone has this shared language and this shared kind of um, idea of what what we're talking about. So something like cold calling is one of the things in the books. And so everyone 
in the school will then know what cold calling is because you've all worked on it together and so then when you're you know observing a lesson or you are doing a learning walk and you can say you can pick up on something and say oh i can see you know you you're cold calling here and you've then got this shared language that kind of takes away any confusion and it stops things getting lost in translation mm. and i know one of the things that um i was re-watching some a webinar that they did the other day and they talk about um you know like lethal mutations where someone's got this idea and then someone dilutes it a little bit and then they dilute it a little bit more and then by the time it gets to you know the fifth person it's not really like the the first thing and it its core purpose has changed and so this stops that this is just this sort of um backbone of professional development and getting better at teaching Mm. and i think it's really important that we all acknowledge that we all need to get better at teaching it's not a case of i've been doing it for 10 years so i'm the best i'm going to be and that's that and i know that in every school those people exist where you know they have been teaching for 20 30 years and they think they've seen and done it all, but maybe they haven't. And uh, I'm going to be really cringy and quote Dylan William and say, you know, he has that quote that's every teacher needs to improve, not because they're not good enough, but because they can be even better. Mm. And I think, you know, framing it like that with your staff and saying that we need this because our teaching and learning has to improve and it, it will be better for your for our teachers, but it will be better for our children ultimately. And that's what, that's what we're, you know, that's how kind of core goal here is to provide an education for these children. And if we can better it and we can improve it, then we need to. And in my opinion, getting walkthroughs is a really good way of doing it. That it does sound really, really good. And and it sounds great because on all levels because obviously it's the ideal setting, I presume, would be that a school buys into it and pr- 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 provides it for their staff mm. and like you say and i think sometimes you know i've got i've had an experience of going into a new school for the first time and uh, we had some ob- observations and i had a really bizarre moment where you know I, i'm a senior leader in my school and all this ki- and all this kind of thing so mm-hmm. you know there's that expectation i suppose that you know mine is meant to be okay when i'm like i'm gonna mess this up um and i think there was a moment i was thinking actually i've not yet been observed in this setting i don't know mm. what you know, what is expected as good teaching and learning in this setting? It was a really surreal moment because I'd been in my previous school for six or seven, six or so years. And so just being put into that moment, I was like, whoa, like, so something like this, where, mm. you know, that, where all the staff are kind of tuned into the same researched evidence-based practices, are using the same kind of skills and strategies with those and understand it the same way because they've kind of gone through that journey together mm-hmm. would be really, really useful. Um, but it also sounds like that, you know, if 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 you are a class teacher and you don't have that influence over a whole school, you could get this yourself. And it's, well, yeah, it's good Definitely. to keep learning. Go ahead. Yeah. I think the beauty of it is, you know, if you are, say, just you're the year four teacher in your school, but there isn't a big kind of push on teaching and learning or CPD, then you can go and buy the book. And you can pick a pick one of the um, walkthroughs. And you can work on it yourself and maybe you'll ask your ta to observe and say how you've done on that mm. or you might have a year group partner that you trust very much who can do that or you might just do it yourself or you might film yourself and then watch yourself back and you can totally take a hold of your professional development yourself um but i do think that schools buying into it or trusts buying into it will 
be so beneficial for teaching and learning and I think the um so like the benefit of say when you first introduce it you might pick a couple of walkthroughs to work on as a whole staff mm. and then you might do peer observations or learning walks where you just get to go and sit in and you know you're all focusing on this walkthrough mm. and you know that you are all you know if it's the start of the year it might be something to do with behavior and relationships and you're all focusing on this one thing so then in your staff meeting or when you're feeding back with each other you've got this shared vocabulary you've got this shared sort of purpose and you all know what you're working towards and then it becomes so much easier to give feedback in an observation because you like i, I keep saying shared vocabulary and shared language but that's so important mm. and you can make it so specific rather than something really rubbish like pace some someone saying oh do you know what your pace just wasn't very good or your pace just needs to be better that's nonsense feedback but if you can link it to a walkthrough then that would be so valuable for someone because it needs feedback needs to be specific. And this kind of really goes hand in hand with like that kind of coaching culture mm. where you kind of work on these small steps together. And but over time you are getting so much better. And I'm, I'm so, I'm so in love with the idea of it. And they've just mapped it out with Emma Turner. They've mapped it out um, against the early career framework. Yeah. And I just think that's wonderful because now our ECTs are going to have that to to use yeah and I, I'm so excited to you we have an NQT lecture and I'm so excited that we can use it with her that sounds great and and they they come in knowing the kind of practices that the the, the mm. strategies that the school are using and because they've gone exactly. through that and it just sounds like it's a really good way of just giving teachers a um Oh, I, I can't think of the word really. It's just, just gone for me. But basically, rather than having a set of observations and just saying, okay, we're going to look at yeah. you know, uh, this and this, when the school haven't really spoken much about that or given much training mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Saying, you know, we're going to look at this because as a school, we've worked through our professional development for the last half term or so, looking at mm-hmm. this. We've discussed it together. We've trialed it together. You get to that stage where maybe you do have a learning walk or an observation and the, the the person comes in to observe you and you know what they're looking for and you try and demonstrate yes. that and then you get that specific feedback on that. It just sounds like a, a really effective and proficient way of developing, picking out teaching skills yeah. and, and building that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, Matt Swain, who works for the STEP Trust, he always talks about his um, staff meetings and they they'll like teach something, I say teach something, but they'll learn something altogether, you know, a strategy or something. And then they'll do some deliberate practice Mm. with each other. Mm. And I think we don't have enough of that. And so this could be used in that way. You could have something like cold calling and just say, okay, now we're going to practice it. Or there's one that's no opt out and now we're going to practice it. Mm. And then you, then you can go and practice it with your class where, you know, it really matters. And I think um, as well, yeah, because it, it sounds like it's very specific things within a teaching within teaching a lesson. Because yeah. I always think back when, um, you know, occasionally you have people say, I, I remember sitting in one staff meeting, which wasn't like what you're explaining here. It was about um, somewhat an external company coming in, trying to implement like a certain PSHE program. And they literally yeah. did like a, a model lesson. And that was really cringy <laughs> because they were cheating us like children. Yeah. Like, oh, would you like to come and oh mr roberts you are you know you're this pupil come and sit on this chair and i'm like sure okay 
But actually, yeah. what, what this, this sounds different. This sounds like this is an actual strategy that we can try. And actually, you could use in a training session and it will mm. produce effective results because it's good teaching and learning. Exactly. Absolutely. It, it's one of those things that um, I really hope becomes more mainstream. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds great. I'm going to be looking at, there's a number of things, as with all of these chats that I have, uh, <laughs> I've got on my list to go away and look at. That's great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time, Shannon. We've got our last two questions, which are nice quick ones for you. So thank you for coming to, uh, and chatting with us today. The first cool. one is, who would you recommend for a future interview on this podcast? Obviously, this was very difficult because there are so many people that I love and who I think are incredible at what they do. But one person that I think you should really get on is Lloyd Williams-Jones. He's just fascinating as a person. He's an insanely good deputy head teacher that, you know, he's he's been on a real journey with the school that he started at in September. And I just think he would make a really, really good guest. Excellent. That's great. Lloyd Williams-Jones. I'll add that to my list of people who are trying to work for That's <laughs> fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> And finally, Shannon, what for you is the best thing about being in primary education? Uh, I, was, so I was listening to Kerry's episode yesterday and I know she said every day is different. And, and that, you know, that's one of those things that we all say all the time, isn't it? That is the best thing because every day is different and you never know what's going to happen. And But if, if I were to choose something else, it would be just the impact that we can have. Mm is incredible you know i've been watching this program called becoming you and it's all about the first five years of a child's life and how valuable they are Mm. and i you know i've worked in schools where they've not necessarily had all of those experiences that are so vital to development and so the fact that then i can then try and have an impact and try and fix those holes that they've got and plug those sort of social and emotional gaps as well as teaching them some really interesting stuff and sort of equipping them with the knowledge and experience to just be like a really solid well-rounded person when they grow up I, it's like just it's just a huge honor mm. that we can do that that that's our job and i'm just i love it oh, i love that answer fantastic brilliant thank you <laughs> Well, thank you for your time, Shannon. Really enjoyed having you here. And thanks uh, thanks for all the great ideas you shared on Primary Education Voices for us. Thank you for having me. Well, once again, what a fantastic opportunity we had to listen to another Primary Education Voice there. Shannon was fantastic. Um, after six years in primary education, she has led music, geography, computing, maths, PSHE, Outdoor Learning and MFL. Um, I think I managed to get all those written down. What many listeners won't realise is that I write write some notes as I go along, uh, partially so that I can look back and just see some of the great things that I've learned personally, but also so I can kind of formulate my thoughts for this part of the podcast, the, the kind of summary, if you will. Uh, and I was frantically trying to write down all of the subject areas that Shannon has led uh, in her, in her you know, six years of primary education. And it's really... Um, incredible to see uh, the the variety of things that she's done um but obviously you know she has a lot of um, ideas and thoughts around these areas um i loved our chat about her her passion and her inspiration really behind her teacher she's had in the past mrs brown of course in year six and her year four teacher uh, that she had who she thought was the coolest person ever which i thought was great 
Um, but then, of course, her primary three were, again, a really top quality three things to really think about and take away from our chat. Uh, first of all, the NCETM resources, which, as I mentioned in the podcast, I will promote all day long. Um, you know, the NCETM have made the teaching of early mathematics really important uh, in, in my mind, uh, but not just important, but clear and and with a a sense of direction which can help teachers even those teachers that perhaps are not feeling confident with their subject knowledge and their and their strategies for teaching mathematics um they just really lay out a great and clear structure for teachers um using manipulatives using the key question the stem sentences and all the things which a good primary maths teacher needs it's all there and so i would fully recommend as shannon did uh, the uh, NCETM spines uh, with the pr professional development materials and of course the learning trajectories which I'm going to now uh, go and have a little look at myself you know we're thinking about September and the the new framework for early years and it sounds like the NCETM have a lot a lot of resources there to support with that when you do go just just be aware that it will probably be a bit overwhelming at first but as Shannon says just pick one small area, think about perhaps a while in the future, maybe in, in autumn, if you're listening to this when this is released, you can think about September, where number and place value, they've got a lot of resources on that on there already to help with those spines. Uh, and just read through. Like she says, it's not really a planning document as such. It's not, you know, a scheme to follow. It's more to help with you and your subject knowledge and preparing yourself for the teaching of these key concepts. And the ready to progress criteria stuff as well, which is very high on my agenda as a maths lead and as a, a kind of leader in maths in my local area as well. Um, you know, I think that it's something that we need to really get on board with. So definitely a wonderful start to a primary three and then curriculum, a really good curriculum chat, which I love. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on all things curriculum. There are many areas of the curriculum that I'm not very well uh, up to date on but uh, as but what i do know is as, as shannon says we need to be clearer as teaching staff what the direction and the rationale really behind the things that we are teaching in our year groups are for our wider curriculum why are we teaching the romans in this area and what are the key skills and, and knowledge that we need to provide to the children and give them experience in to move them on through that curriculum so that all those progression points are met through early years key stage one and key stage two um i think you know i see very often as shannon mentioned um people saying oh i'm teaching this topic or i've got this this title for a for a theme in this term what can i do for uh, art in that time any planning you can send me and it and this isn't the way to go about it of course as she says you know it is it's not down to the teacher's fault. You know, they're just trying to do the best they can in the situation that they have. It is the school leadership that needs to provide that direction on curriculum. And obviously, as I mentioned, the Ofsted framework and a lot of discussion about curriculum over the last two years has hopefully moved some schools that were not in that direction already more to the point where they are thinking about, you know, being clear on what is being taught when, why is it being taught then, and what do they need to cover in that time? And I don't think that um, what Shannon is suggesting is that you are told every single lesson, you know, it's scripted what you need to do. But it gives you a clear sense of understanding where you need to go with this, because teachers, as she mentions, are overwhelmed with so many things they have to do. There are so many subjects to cover. They need strong subject leadership in their schools to provide the correct curriculum. I could go on as Shannon could uh, with this. But, uh, you know, I think whilst we did have a little and 
Shannon did say to me afterwards, actually, um, you know, she was worried that, you know, she was a bit um, negative. And, you know, I don't think she was. I think that I could completely understand where she was coming from. I mean, I'll hold my hands up and say, look, I've been the person that has um, done um, a building a Stonehenge lesson or, you know, all these kind of these activities, which when you're trying to plan every single subject with no real direction on the curriculum by subject leads, that's just what you need to do. You just need to find those links and you just go with it as best you can. Um, but let, but hopefully schools are now thinking more about how they can provide their teachers with that clear sense of clarity and direction on what skills they need to be covering in all the subject areas. I mean, I'm sure, as she says, there's plenty of ways to go for all of our schools, no matter where they're at. And so, you know, we're all working as hard as we can to do the best we can for our children. And finally, uh, the, the final resource she mentioned, and this summary is going very long already, but there's just so much that I got from this, uh, is the work walkthroughs. When uh, Shannon sent it to me, I wasn't even aware of what that resource was. Um, but as as you learned with me, it sounds like a really useful um, set of resources to help a teacher understand good teaching and learning from evidence-based practice and how that can be applied to a, to a school setting and a clear five-step guide for each part and each area. But actually, if a school takes a hold of that uh, ethos and that message and applies it across the school, just the shared language and vocabulary and understanding that can be had uh, from school staff, from teachers, TAs, senior leaders and everyone, support staff, so that everyone is providing that consistency uh, and then the children are clear as well with that that what i think the thing is is that you want all the teachers in your school to be very good teachers what you don't want is a situation where some children in this in the school are receiving a less a lower standard of, of quality of education because there isn't this set shared language and vocabulary and ethos and use of good teaching and learning strategies and approaches which are available to learn about and apply through these walkthrough books so uh, i certainly will, will be looking at that just for myself personally but uh in the, in the in the future how i can apply that because it sounds like a great resource anyway i could keep touch talking uh, and i've gone way over my usual summary time uh, Shannon was fantastic to talk to, gave some great ideas, and I had a wonderful uh, hour with her. So thank you very much for your time, Shannon. All that is left for me to say is that if there's a primary colleague on the Twitter sphere or anywhere else that you'd love to hear more from, you can contact me on Twitter through at Prime Edu Voices or me personally at mroberts90matt and let me know what inspiring primary teacher, TA, support staff, anyone you'd love to hear featured on a future episode. It'd be a big, big help to me if you could please subscribe to the podcast leave a review on your podcasting platform, particularly on, particularly on Apple iTunes, to really get this Primary Education Voices podcast out and hopefully to share more of that voice. Thank you for joining me to hear another Primary Education Voice and see you again next time when we meet another inspirational educator.